What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. Before we get started, I just want to ask you a quick question. What's on your mind? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of What's on Your Mind. It's me, Brandon. I know I've been gone for a while, but I came back. I'm coming back stronger than ever. And I just want to introduce our guest for today, Kent Fisher. Hey, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming. Um, How's your day? It's been a busy day. Uh, we're in the middle of a mental health crisis, so my business is pretty busy these days. Uh, you said you're in the middle of a what? Mental health crisis. Oh, yes. Not yes. only are we having a pandemic and a economic crisis, we're in the middle of a mental health crisis as well. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, so, okay, so I'm going to just start off with a few questions. Um, so to start out, do you think that queer people should be scared that certain rights are going to be taken away since the Supreme Court has a conservative majority? Well, I definitely think with, uh, the recent appointments, it is going to change the direction of the court and the, the outcomes of several cases that affect, um, this community. Um, I don't know if I would say scared. I'm, I'm more angry than I am scared yeah. uh, that this recent appointment seemed to um, be very different than anything done uh, before now. No other appointment was done so quickly uh, before the end of a president's term. Yeah. Uh, so I'm still pretty angry about that, but less scared. Um, but I also have been around a while and I've seen a lot of um, uh, ground being covered with the LGBTQ um, community and I see a lot of changes that have come. So I think it's harder to take away rights. Uh, so I'm not saying it won't happen, but I think that is a harder uh, avenue to go for, for our rights that we already have to be taken away. Yeah. Um, so can I ask you, how did you feel when gay marriage was legalized in the U.S.? Well, excited. Uh, <laughs> I was already in a long-term uh, committed relationship when that happened, <laughs> and I was in that relationship when there were a few cities around the country that were allowing gay marriage, Portland, Oregon, uh, San Francisco, New York. And uh, I went, we went to Portland, Oregon to get married. Uh, and three months later, the license was sent back, stamped null and void. Uh, <laughs> so it just, um, those were short lived, but it was part of a bigger picture of getting marriage rights for uh, the gay community. So I think it's long overdue. And I think there are still um, some misunderstanding just because there's gay marriage rights doesn't mean there's equality uh, in taxing, economics, adoption, yeah. uh, child provisions. I think there's a lot of things that people think are a given that 
come with gay marriage that are not true. Yeah. Okay. So stepping away from that, that real quick, do you believe that the president should have the ability to pardon himself? That is a totally random question for those <laughs> other questions. I just want to know because that, that's been on my mind. I can tell. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, that's an easy one. No, I don't. I think, well, they keep saying it. No one's above the law. No yeah. one should be above the law. And there's certainly uh, some commentary going on now that um, uh, some talk of extending pardons that are not clearly defined as to what they're for, yeah. uh, just to cover all bases. I definitely think uh, pardons should be done very discriminately and for specific reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do not think it should be a power that's abused. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> to get back on track, I just need to answer that because it's been on my mind lately with Trump um, pardoning his former, it was some former somebody. But anyway, um, so earlier you was talking about your business. Um, yeah. So you're the co-founder of EHC. -E Can you tell us a little bit what you do there? Can you tell uh, us that stands bit? for that stands for Experiential Healing Center. Um, my business partner Michelle Rappaport and I started Experiential Healing Center back in 1999, and um, it's a holistic. Um, healing center where we do there's therapist there's massage therapist acupuncturist Reiki uh, yoga there's all kinds of uh, art therapists there's all kinds of different therapeutic modalities and thus the term experiential means any therapy modality that incorporates uh, different methods to help people access their feelings uh, it's less talk therapy and more action oriented. Oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> I'm gonna have to yeah. go up there one day. <laughs> um, so, is there any like certain requirements people need to um, be seen at EAC? Uh, not really. Uh, I just say that things different from us. We don't do primary treatment. So, people that have acute whether it's addiction issues or mental health issues, we don't do acute care because we're not a residential facility. We do uh, retreats and programs that are sometimes days or a week at a time, uh, but it's not a residential facility. So you'd have to be stable enough to participate at your own volition and um, be here be here of your own choice so no there's really nothing besides we don't do acute care what's acute care do you understand what i mean by that what's acute care for everybody so somebody that's in a acute is a like they're in a they're in a mental health crisis they're having a panic attack they're uh drinking daily they're in active drug addiction they're uh in a uh pretty severe depressive um, spiral. Those are not conditions that are appropriate for outpatient uh, clinical care. So those are things we refer to treatment or other other facilities. Oh, okay. Okay. So 
On your website, it says that you specialize in a few areas. Among those is human sexuality. In your in your opinion, do you think that people do you think that people have a choice in their sexuality or it's just who they are? That's a complicated question that may warrant more more than I could say in a podcast. Um, I will back up and say I've been doing therapy for 30 years, over 30 years. And I started in the field uh, working with alcohol and drug addiction. And what got me into the field of human sexuality was um, not only my own personal journey and need to heal some things with myself, but also it's the number one reason why alcoholics and addicts relapse is something related to unresolved sexual relational issues. So in just trying to help people stay sober, I kind of got into that field that way. Um, so my answer is yes and no about do I think they're born that way or do I think it's a choice? I don't think orientation um, is something that um, can be defined with one singular way. It's a complex way that we come to define ourselves. I don't think you can change someone's orientation. Uh, I certainly have been around long enough to see uh, ill effects of conversion therapy. I don't know if you know what that is, but uh, there's, there's certainly been attempts to convert GLBTQ people over the years. Uh, but I th think there is an element of choice in how one lives and expresses it. Uh, not so much in what the true orientation is, but how do they live it is and needs to be somewhat of a choice. Yeah. Um... So do you think that people know that it's not really a choice as to what people are attracted to? So they, and they still choose to be homophobic or do you think it's something like that's engraved in them from a young age? I think homophobia is as intrinsic and is as pervasive as racism. Mm -hmm. um, it's generational, it's cultural, um, it's familial, it's in the family system. Uh, so just as much as I think uh, systems influence people's belief around race, I think the same is true for human sexuality. Um, yeah. I don't know that I would call homophobia a choice. Uh, I also would say, sadly, because it is so culturally pervasive, a lot of people in, in the LGBTQ community have their own struggles with homophobia because it's yeah. been so um, part of their uh, growing up. Yeah. So do you see a lot of people come into your business that was, that was dealing with like internal homophobia? Absolutely. That, uh, I don't know that they would call it that because sometimes it shows up like some depression or uh, social anxiety or ways that they self-medicate with alcohol or other things. And once you kind of get into that and start peeling back the layers of that, 
you realize kind of at the core of themselves, they're not really at peace with their identity. And that is often what I would call internalized homophobia. Okay, so speaking of identity, another area that your website says you specialize in is identity. So what's like, what does that entail? What that means? Well, again, maybe a complex issue, but I'll say, I believe one's journey to personal discovery is a sacred journey everybody has a birthright to take. And one's identity is really a culmination of how I see myself, what I believe about myself, how I feel about my body, how I feel about my sexuality. And so forming a self-identity comes through a process of how you come to know and define yourself. So just to clarify, you know, the difference in, in using identity around gender identity, one's gender identity doesn't always line up with their physiological anatomical sex. And so identity is not just a fact, it's, it's also a biopsychosocial spiritual definition of myself, how I come to define myself. Yeah. And, and that we get the right to define ourselves. Actually, one of the things that's, I think, come out of that in your generation is now the recognition of pronouns and yeah. the choice of people using the pronouns they want to use versus the ones that are assigned to them by others. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think a, a lot of people in our generation, they starting to realize that um what like the person that people think of them as that's not who they have to be so exactly. yeah like yeah so like you were saying exactly. a lot of a lot of us we change our pro pronouns or how we dress things like that to be more comfortable with, with who we are exactly instead of who exactly think we are exactly and hopefully we're moving culturally to a place where that's more acceptable yeah me too um yeah, yeah. So can you clarify what your website means when it says that you specialize in re restoring individuals to their healthy sexual selves? So to that question about uh, restoring people to their healthy sexual relational selves, uh, I'll give a short answer. One of the certifications I have is I'm a certified sex addiction therapist. So I work a lot with sex, love, relationship, addiction, and dependency, uh, which is way more common than I think people are aware of. Um, and uh, that's one of the ways that we'll have developed a disordered intimacy attachment way of relating and behaving sexually. So, you know, one of the things that we try to do is um, provide a safe place, but also educate people about what would be a healthy way to relate and be in relationship and be intimate and express themselves sexually uh, without um, addictive behavior, compulsive behavior, um, uh, chemical abuse, uh, other ways that people um, have learned to cope with their um, 
dysfunctional sexual relational behavior. The other thing I would say is I work with a lot of people who have been uh, covertly or overtly sexually abused, uh, which definitely damages one's sexual template and how they experience themselves and express themselves. So that's just a couple of ways that uh, we, we try to help restore people to their healthy self. Um, so what's the difference from somebody being clingy and love with other, them being a love addict or they're the same thing, just at different levels? I would say that would depend on the level of clingy. Uh, if you're clingy to the point where um, you lose sleep, you're anxious a lot, you can't stand when your partner's away, um, uh, you have mood swings, you pick fights, you, I mean, if you're clingy to the point where it's very intense, uh, that's where it becomes a problem. I don't know that I would call that love addiction per se. Love addiction is more about a pattern of dysfunctional relationships or what we say mistaking intensity for intimacy. Um, so definitely you can be clingy and it just be kind of a personality trait but if you're a little too clingy you probably got some other kind of problems going on yeah okay so you're just asking that for other people right <laughs> yes don't be trying to say you my business don't do that <laughs> um so in your line of work what are some of the damaging effects of stereotypes Well, aside from all the addictive ways that people harm themselves, uh, eating disorders, self-harm behaviors, uh, suicide, uh, ideations, um, definitely stereotypes, um, you know, inhibit people's ability to express themselves in a way that feels authentic. They... Um, it confines people to think they have to define themselves as others define them. Um, so, you, so would you say that um, our, my generation is starting to step away from stereotypes, like how we was talking about earlier with the pronouns? I definitely that's, I think that's an example. You know, Brandon, I actually think that's a, I would answer that both ways. In some ways, I think your generation has made huge progress in allowing people to express themselves more authentically. In other ways, I still am surprised how pervasive sexism, homophobia, and racism still is. Yeah. Uh, in, and kind of sad about that sometimes when I see that take place. Yeah. Um. We we started on the way, but we ain't there yet. I can admit that. Um, yeah. So do you think that the hatred that most queer people along with other minorities face can lead to them being addicted to something? If so, what are the common addictions that they develop? I definitely think uh, dissonance or discontent with being who you are makes one want to self-medicate. Um, I don't know that I would say uh, maybe the common go-tos are drug and alcohol, sex and love, and eating disorders. 
are probably the most pervasive addictive disorders that people uh, turn to as a way to numb and alter their mood uh, because they're unable to live um, authentically or they live in an environment or have been uh, raised in an environment where um, they're not accepted for who they are. So, you know, in order to shut down <clears throat> my authentic self, I kind of have to numb myself to that. So those are common addictions people have. Yeah. Um, so what are some ways that people can help somebody with an addiction or if they have an addiction, what can they <clears throat> do at home instead of like going somewhere like EAC or like Lakeside or anything like that? Well, I will say EHC and Lakeside are very different um, <laughs> places. So I'll just say that. Um, they both serve a function, but they're very different places. I think my answer to what one might do in their life or to help someone, um, certainly if I'm recovering from alcoholism, and you're drinking around me all the time, that typically doesn't help me. Yeah. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm a recovering smoker and you're blowing smoke in my face uh, or any of that. So I think any, any awareness or um, willingness to be mindful of other people's vulnerabilities, if you really believe addiction is like an allergy to something, like what what alcohol does to me doesn't do that to someone that's not alcoholic. What, you know, um, sugar does to me is not what it does to someone that doesn't have a sugar addiction. So just being mindful of that is really helpful. The last thing I would say, people that have issues and their, their friends and family is the idea of replacement. Um, if you're gonna give something up, you can't just give it up and expect I'm gonna be content without replacing it with something. So you need to replace that with healthy behaviors. Uh, we call those resources, things that people do that help them feel more comfortable, whether that's um, uh, taking walks, being in nature, um, um, doing art, whatever one would do to help them feel better. You can't just expect someone to not do something that's addictive and then be content with themselves. That usually doesn't work that way. That makes sense. Okay, so I don't have any more questions, but at this time, would you like to ask me any questions before we go? Well, I do have a couple questions for you. <laughs> okay. What's your take on your generation's level of progress when it comes to um, accepting people that are different what's your take on that um, i say that we are on the right path and like you see it every day like when candace owen went after harry styles for wearing a dress you saw a lot of um gen zers step up to her calling her out saying if you want to wear a dress let them wear a dress ain't nothing really wrong with it but at the same time it's a lot of us that was raised in like homophobic or racist um, households. And that's, that's why I actually do think it's engraving people because I think like if you teach somebody that from a young age, 
they'll grow up thinking like that. Like if you teach somebody a language from a young age, they're going to yeah. grow up and have some resemblance of that language. Good so while I think like some people are, are trying to change their ways, I think it would be kind of hard. And to your point, using language example, if you don't practice the language, yeah. you lose the language. If you don't practice homophobia or racism or other forms of prejudice, mm -hmm. you actually, it does diminish. So, yeah. and, and it can be, it can be uh, workable and teachable. You can teach people a different way to be. It's why they have sensitivity trainings and those kind of things that take yeah. place. My other question to you would be, because I'm an addiction therapist, would be to ask you, how do you think your generation is faring in the, specifically I would ask around the area of substance abuse and uh, sex and love addiction tendencies? How do you think your generation's doing? Um, with the love and sex um, addictions, I personally think that we are like, we might be more prone to like love addictions because most of us don't receive the kind of love and affection that a person needs to grow. Um, with the drugs abuse, I would say that, like I, like I said earlier, with like homophobia and stuff like that, even though I don't think it's as bad as homophobia and racism, most of us grew up like around parents that like smoke or drink. Mm -hmm. So since we saw that from a young age, mm -hmm. like like we'll we probably, we probably won't get like as addicted as those older than us, but we'll be like more prone to like pick up a pick up a um like a drink and like a drink of liquor or something yeah. like that. Like we'll be less hesitant to pick it up and they'll start us on that might start us on that path. It's more normalized. Yep, yeah, for sure. For so sure. I I think like the love addiction is more prone in our in my generation. Yeah. Mm. Do you think my last question would be, do you think people of your generation are more likely to reach out for help to people like my profession as opposed to uh, older generations? Um Honestly, I think it just depends on like the household you come from, because if the household you come from is like you don't show your feelings or things like that, then no, they won't reach out. But if your household is okay every week or like uh, every every time you have something wrong with you, you come to everybody and express your feelings. If you if you grew up in a household like that, then yeah, they'll come to like your profession. But yeah, like it just depends on how you grew up. Like me personally, I might come at the same time I might not because where I grew up, we express our feelings, but like to a certain point, like we always try to like shield other people from our feelings, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, For sure. So For sure. yeah, I think it just depends on the household you grew up in. I think that's a fair answer. Yeah. That's all the questions I have. Okay. Thank you for having me today. No problem, no problem. Thank you for coming. Yeah, um, you're welcome. Okay, y'all, with that being said, please and go please go check out Kent's website to see if you will benefit from the service of EAC. Stay safe, everybody. We'll get through this together because remember we can't be the United States until we are united. Peace out. Mm -hmm.